0: So much of our modern life is built upon simplifying the complex. We reduce social interactions to likes and follows on social media and dilute the news in our favorite echo chambers. But today's guest warns that life is not simple, and the complexity found in great literature is ultimately liberating of the mind and essential to the health of our democracy. She's best-selling author Azar Nafisi this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello, and welcome to A Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. This week, we're sitting down with Azar Nafisi, whose new book I can describe as an extended love letter to reading, books, poetry, complexity, and ideas. It is titled Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times, and it's excellent. Lazar, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You know, so really, congratulations on, on, on Read Dangerously. I read it uh, and was absolutely enthralled with it. For our audience who maybe hasn't read it yet, could you give us just a, a quick overview?
1: Well, I was getting a little bit desperate and frustrated with the Uh, direction that the country has been going, especially since the last elections in 2016. And um, I usually vent my uh, frustrations in writing. So I started writing letters like uh, Saul Bellows Herzog to uh, everyone that I could think of and some of them uh, to people like Donald Trump, even um, telling him what I thought of him. Uh, and to my father, who has been dead for 12 years. Well, at that time, uh, he was dead for 12 years. And um, I was particularly worried about the polarization uh, in the society and how there was no room for conversation. Anyway, to make a long story short, I started by um, writing these random letters, but that's what they were, random. They couldn't be turned into a book. So then I started writing to the writers that I had chosen. Uh, to talk about. And that didn't work either because I wasn't intimate with them. I couldn't um, know about their uh, private lives. We didn't have a relationship in that um, uh, way. Uh, So I was talking to a friend and uh, complaining about it. And she said, why don't you write to a third person? And immediately my father came to my mind. Uh, He and I had a long history of communicating through two things. One was through stories and another one through conversations and letters. And uh, I felt that he was the best person uh, to listen to me. So I turned the book into five letters, uh, uh, each covering um, some writers and some aspect of uh, uh, the main theme, which was how to deal with the enemy, how to deal with um, the circumstances in during turbulent times. Uh, and so that is how the book began its, its journey. You
0: know, the, the book is a is a incredible tribute to these authors as well that, that you that you highlight Salman Rushdie, Plato, uh, Ray Bradbury, Tony Morrison, uh, the list goes on and on. What Did you know, you know, before you started writing the particular authors that you would want to include in this, or did some of these emerge to you in the course of writing.
1: They emerged in the course of writing I. First of all, I found an excuse to read and reread because now it was my duty to do it for my book. So I had a lot of fun uh, for the reading part. Uh, The agony came when I started to write. And um, there were a lot of writers that I had considered. For example, Robert Penn Warren's All the King's Men, Nathaniel West's Cool Million. And um, uh, I even wrote a chapter. On uh, Maria Vargas Leosa's Feast of the Goat, Uh, and uh, it was a very difficult choice, Uh, but I found the ones whose work uh, really suited to the themes that I wanted to talk about, to the ideas that I wanted to talk about.
2: So, what what makes a book dangerous?
1: well not any book is dangerous it's usually uh, when I was talking about fiction I was talking about great fiction and what it does because fiction is democratic by nature I mean it um, uh, the good writer has to give voice to every single character in the novel it has to bring them to life through getting under their skin and um Even the villain, even the characters the writer might not like have to have their voice. And there there is constant discourse between these characters and the plot moves through these different discourses. Uh, So that in itself, uh, the democratic aspect of the novel uh, is very dangerous. The second thing is what we see, especially nowadays, that um, totalitarian mindsets, whether they are in a theocracy like Iran or um, as trends within a democracy like United States, the first thing they do is to fabricate reality, to empty reality of its realness and replace it with their lies. And the duty of fiction and some of the writers in my book um, directly uh, address this, they call themselves witnesses. The duty of the writer is to tell the truth and truth is always dangerous because once you hear it, you cannot remain silent. And if you do remain silent, you become complicit. Uh, So um, dangerously, Reading dangerously is reading uh, without the complacencies that makes you question, but not yourself. You yourself become suspect. And uh, uh, you go into the book without uh, imposing your own presuppositions and uh, prejudices on the book.
2: So, So what do we as individuals and as a society gain by reading dangerously? What's the value? I mean, there are some people who would say we don't want to read dangerously precisely because there are truths that we either don't believe or or don't want to confront or face. What's the value and what would you say to people who, who might not want to read dangerously?
1: Well, the whole point about it is, you you know, one of the problems with um, uh, our society today um, is that everybody wants to be comfortable. Uh, And uh, that tendency especially uh, manifests itself uh, in reading and writing. Um, Keep hearing the word comfortable, that I'm not comfortable with this, that it diss me. Well, I agree with James Baldwin that art is here to disturb. The whole idea of knowledge is to let you know about things that you don't know is to take you to places you haven't been, to introduce you to people you haven't seen, and all, and look at the world through the alternative eyes of these people and of these places. So when we do not read dangerously, uh, we are eliminating, we are depriving ourselves of a branch of knowledge that is so important to our survival as human beings books do not make policies but they help the mindset they help to create mindsets that makes those policies and um, books teach us how to become independent. Imaginative knowledge is not something you have today and tomorrow you have your iPhone, so you don't need it. Imaginative knowledge is a way of uh, perceiving the world, relating to the world and changing the world. And if we don't, we remain stagnant, we wither and literally die.
2: So we are recording this during the third week of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and reading and reading dangerously, of course, comes immediately to mind, both for people within Ukraine and other parts of the world, but also within Russia. I'm sure you've given that situation and and the value of reading dangerously and and not just books, but, but also other media. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, first of all, um, a a quotation from Henry James comes to my mind, uh, during World War One that he uh, opposed vehemently, he wrote a letter to a friend and said, feel, feel all you can as a way of resisting against the war. And uh, fiction puts us in that place. uh, Because, It deals not with general ideas, but with concrete individuals. And uh, if the writer does her job well, uh, she will make the reader also put herself or himself um, in the experience of those people. And the other thing about fiction is that uh, it teaches us to not become like our enemy. It is so easy. You know, heaven's sake, you see these children dying on on the television set and uh, you hate the perpetrators. You want to do something terrible to them as they're doing something terrible to these children and their parents. And then uh, through the eyes of fiction and through the eyes of empathy, you realize that you're becoming like your enemy, wanting their death because of the death they're causing your people. And look at what Ukrainians did. Putin killed their children. They contacted the mothers of the Russian soldiers asking them to come and collect their sons. That is how you save yourself from becoming like the enemy. The enemy can deprive you of life in two ways. One is physically kill you. The second is to make your mindset totalitarian as well. And we see that within our own society, how uh, uh, people we disagree with, people we oppose, uh, become enemies in a sense that we try to eliminate them rather than at first understand them.
0: Lazar, you, um, you grapple with just really profound issues and questions that sort of cut to the core of what it means to be human. One of the passages early in the text, uh, you write, It's not only censorship that is dangerous to the well being of a society, but also the mindlessness created by the constant demand for entertainment and sensationalism, a desire to remain on the surface and avoid the complexities and difficulties presented by ideas and imagination. It strikes me that so much of what you're doing is challenging all of us to be courageous in what we're reading. Can you speak to that, those two points about mindlessness and the need for us to be courageous?
1: Well, yes, you know, um, Ray Bradbury uh, had said that um, you don't need to burn books to destroy a culture. All you need to do is to get people not to read them. Uh, in democracies, we don't act the way the totalitarian societies act. We don't um, um, sen- well, we do censor and ban books, but we don't jail authors. Uh, we don't torture them. We don't even uh, sometimes kill, uh, kill them. We don't do any of those things. But there is something very lethal about indifference. We destroy writing and reading, um, not paying attention to them through being too complacent, through being too comfortable. Um, End of reading Lolita in Tehran, I had said that uh, uh, with a quotation from Saul Bellow, that Stalin Uh, in a totalitarian society, what he did was naked violence. It was obvious to everyone. He said, um, what threatens the West is our sleeping consciousness and atrophy of feeling. Mm -hmm. And that goes exactly against the grain of writing, any kind of writing, not just fiction. It is an investigation. It is an discovery and therefore it is an awakening to life. Our five senses become alive. Um, And I ask you, if we are indifferent towards uh, uh, ideas and, and imagination, if we think that reading a book is disturbing, therefore we should read it, how are we going to face The disturbing reality. Imagination and reality go hand in hand. You fiction prepares you for the difficulties you inevitably, inevitably face life. Fiction is ambiguous, contradictory, unruly, paradoxical, because life is unruly, paradoxical, ambiguous. So to live a little bit more, we go to imagine ideas and we have to start this from early childhood. We have to start it with our education system and our education system today is going the exact direction of what I'm talking about.
0: We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at JMLutis. Joining me, as he does every week in the co-host chair, is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is best-selling author Azar Nafisi, whose newest book is a beautifully written extended reflection on the power and importance of books and ideas. The book's title is Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times. You can find Azar on Twitter at Azar Nafisi. That's A-Z-A-R-N-A-F-I-S-I. Well, that, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because there has been a movement in recent well, months, if not years, uh, around the country to, 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 to stifle ideas to silence the voices of authors, to eliminate books from elementary school, middle school, and high school libraries. Toni Morrison is one of the authors that you mentioned. Uh, some of her works have been put on banned books, banned books lists yeah. uh, in in public schools in, in certain parts of the United States. Could you put that current American experience into uh, the challenge you've given to all of us to read dangerously?
1: You know, um every totalitarian mindset, the first things that um, they um, target are the things that they are most afraid of, namely women, minorities, and culture. So books become indicators of how democracy is doing in any one country. You know, the saying, they first burn books, then they kill people. So uh, censorship, may I, uh, make my point with an uh, point, uh, with an anecdote please um, the, uh, for a long time the main censor uh, for theater in the islamic republic of iran uh, was a blind person literally blind and he would sit in the theater and uh, uh, someone would sit beside him and explain to him what the actors on stage did and then he would decide whether they should uh, continue doing it or not. And he told the scriptwriters and the playwrights to read their scripts on tape without any emotion or dramatic um, dramatization. And then he would decide what to censor and what not to censor. Later on, when he quit his job as, uh, on theater, he went on uh, to a new t- television channel. So this blind sensor for me became uh, a metaphor for what a totalitarian mindset is essentially, as opposed to uh, the mindset nurtured by imagination and ideas. It does not need to see you because it has already defined you what he wants to do is empty you of your identification and replace it with its dogma. And the way we resist this is through reading and reading more. I think in every library, in every bookstore, especially in every school, we should create subversive book groups And we should read the banned books in order to understand it. You know, they talk about um, uh, Art Spiegelman's mouse as obscene. Obscenity is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, a naked mice, naked mice uh, are called obscene. And they are drained of the meaning that Spiegelman was trying to put the point he was trying to make that they are naked because they are going to their death, They will be exterminated that idea that idea um, is vulgarized actually and made obscene through the eye of the sensor, and uh, it is our. We. Consider ourselves nowadays, because of the war in Ukraine, as leader of the free world, leading democracy, and I think that we learn two lessons from it. One is that democracy or totalitarianism in other parts of the world matter to us. That. people who live thousands of miles away from us, whose language we don't speak, whose people we don't know, democracy in their country will directly and indirectly affect democracy in our country. And the second thing is how can we become leader of the democratic world when we ourselves are questioning the basic uh, tenets? Of Which is freedom of expression um, uh, in our democracy so of free yes
2: no I'm sorry you you began to address this and and you you are talking about it now I'm wondering if you could just elaborate you know people begin reading obviously as children. What would you say to to young children, to their parents or guardians or, or people who have you know guardianship for them? and and for for somewhat older children who have you know some choice in what they read and to teach us, what would you say just in general about reading?
1: well for children and adults, I always go to Alice in Wonderland. The whole idea of reading is discovering something that you don't know. And a good reader, a reader that um, uh, will, uh, is a reader who like Alice, sees the world through the alternative eyes of imagination. So just doesn't see a white rabbit, but a white rabbit that speaks and has a watch. Um, And she runs after that white rabbit um, uh, out of curiosity wanting to know, she doesn't say, where is this white rabbit go? Um, th- Would I like the place he's going to? Uh, what if I don't want to go there? She follows him, her and risks jumping down the hole. And lo and behold, once she jumps down the hole, she looks at the wonderland. Children understand this very well. Uh, I have been reading to my grandchildren and I know that they instinctively turn everything that is ordinary into something extraordinary and magical. It is the adults that we should train to allow the children's imagination develop and to not be afraid of obstacles, to not want to have something that um, uh, allows them not to think. Because thinking, as soon as we start thinking, we start questionings. And as soon as we start questioning, we question not just ourselves, but the world.
0: Azar, you you... Uh... As I mentioned, you you, you cover a tremendous amount of important issues, but one of the themes that you come back to repeatedly uh, is the idea and role of empathy in literature. And in the letter chapter that you uh, talk about the literature of war, you particularly emphasize the power of empathy over cold, hard facts. That's actually something that's the central inspiration yes. for the show. Can you talk to us about the power of empathy?
1: Yes, actually, I think works of imagination rely on two uh, basic human traits. So one is curiosity. And I always remember Vladimir Nabokov saying curiosity is insubordination in its purest form, and uh, uh, which it is, because it brings us out of ourselves and makes us look into the mirror and we might not like what we see. And alongside of curiosity, once we become curious about others, we have empathy. Because we, through curiosity, we have the ability to put ourselves in the place and under the skin of people we don't know. And even people we don't like and people we oppose and disagree with. Um, Now, without this empathy, we are, we lose quite a bit our humanity. Now difference is very important. We should celebrate difference. We should bring others into our domain and go into their domain. But difference without empathy is very dangerous. Um, Look at all the dangerous movements uh, in the 20th century, fascism and communism. They were, or look at slavery they all talk about how different we are, that we, they all want use this difference, not to unite, not to connect, but to, to destroy and disconnect, to segregate. So empathy is a reminder of our common humanity. We always, when we read a great book, we discover not, how, not just how different we are, but how alike we are, how as human beings, uh, how many um, areas we uh, share uh, that a mother uh, whose son children have been killed in the war uh, in Iraq has something in common with the mother today in Ukraine or with the mother who has lost uh, her children through the tornado. Uh, that Shakespearean expression, a uh, question if you prick us, do we not bleed? I think we all bleed. And because we all bleed, we need the, the power of empathy to understand that.
0: Zara, this is a really important book. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. She's thank a, you. She's a Zara Nafisi. The book is read dangerously an exceptional read. That's all the time we have this week, but if you want to know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org. We can always catch up on previous episodes. For Wayne, I'm Jim, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.